Thank you, sir. Um, I did, uh, on the way over here, we're trying to decide. It's one of those, like, do you cancel church or not? But we're all Colorado natives, so uh, we thought, you know, they might cancel church in some other states, but not in Colorado. Um, but I don't, we, we've canceled it before, but it's one of those things, probably after the, we get back out in the parking lot and drive home, we'll, we'll say we should have canceled, you know. Um, but it's too late for that. So, uh, I, I, another reason I thought we should cancel is I'm pulling out of my driveway. We're right on the hill there, and we just about got stuck coming out of the driveway. And so that's, a, that's another sign you, you might have should have canceled. Um, might have should have canceled. But uh, in the process uh, of getting out the door, shoveling the sidewalk and brushing the car off, I left my notes at home too. So I'm going to try to... Um, is this on? Right. Is that any better or no? Testing, one, two, three. On, off. Am I amplified at all or no? All right. Sounds good. Well, I'll drink some more coffee then and I'll turn it up. Um, all right. Well, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, just joking. All right. So let's see. Review. We'll talk about that. A little bit of what Jeff shared last week about the tendencies towards rule keeping or rule breaking in our motivations uh, for living for God or, or living to please God. Um, we'll review that. But uh, I want to just kind of set the table. In some ways, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to meet is just so we can throw a few thoughts out there that we can take into our small groups this week to be talking about as we read chapter 4. Um, if any of you are new with us, we've been doing a book study as a catalyst for um, this series here. It's the Gospel-Centered Discipleship. I think there's books at the back of the room. Otherwise, they're out in the cafe there. But this chapter, one of the things that stood out to me right at the beginning of it was the importance of our motives. And so, um, let's check this real quick. Uh, this one says, well, obviously, uh, the point that I just want to make to get started here, and then I'm going to share the three points he shares, and we will be on our way. Um, so, the motives of our heart are extremely important to God. You know, and um, I, I put it like that. He, he put it like this on the first page of the book here, or the first page of this chapter, page 75. He said this, Motives are actually more important than our actions. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about scriptures in your mind. Is that a true statement or not? Are your motives more important than your actions? Because that's a big deal if that's true, you know. Um, And so I was trying to think of different verses that related to that. Let me see if I got them in the PowerPoint or not. I think I did. Uh, Here we go. This is one that was just, uh, I had just read this this morning. I was looking for it, trying to figure out where it was at, and it was right there. So, um, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus was talking about the religious elite of the time, and he said, hey, these guys are doing all, the, all their duties, all the religious rites, uh, you know, all the doing the right things religiously, but their hearts are far from me. And so that would affirm the idea that um, if your heart is not in what you're doing, it's, it's not a good thing, right? Um, there's a, another place he put it like this, um, talking again about the Pharisees. Um, First clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be clean. It's kind of saying, hey, look, if you deal with your heart, if you deal with your motives, it'll take care of the externals. What's going on inwardly is going to overflow to what's going on outwardly in your life here. Um, another place he put it like this. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? And, you know, on this one I was thinking about, so if your motives are more important than your actions, then, you know, 
I, I would say you guys can take that home, chew on it, your, your answers. You guys can figure out the answer to that in small groups this week. Um, but I tend to think your motives are extremely important, but if you say that they're more important than your actions, what you open the door for is actions that are wrong or lack of action, but you had good motives about it. You know, and, and, and that's, uh, that's a danger. I think especially James 4.17 says, um, if you know the good you ought to do, um, and anyone who knows the good then that they ought to do and doesn't do it sins. And I'm not going to get memory madness points for that one, but I did the week that it was the verse. But, uh, but the idea is if you know what you should do and you don't do it, well, the New Testament says that's a sin. And so it's kind of the idea of, boy, if you have really good motives about what you should do and you don't do it, guess what? It's still sin, even if you had really good motives. Um, and, you know, that's, it would open the door for a lot of things that you say, well, I had a good heart, but, you know, I guess the police didn't see it that way, you know. Um, but, so we have to be careful. I think motives are equally important with our actions. I think God wants us to have pure motives that lead to pure actions, that pure inward heart that leads to our, our external things that we do. And so that's, that's extremely important here. And so... Um, Three areas of gospel motivation that the, the author gives us here this week just to chew on. He gives three, and we're going to review each one of them. But um, the overview is, uh, he talks about religious affections. We'll talk about that. He talks about belief in God's warnings and God's promises. And the last one he talks about is repentance. And so I thought uh, I'd just share some thoughts here on religious affections. Um, you know, I think of Jeff's uh, teaching last week. He talked about two tendencies we can have in our relationship with God. One is towards the rules keeping um, and doing things kind of sometimes out of duty because it's the right thing to do or because we want to perform well. The other is rule breaking. And over here, you know, I've got a license. I don't have to do that because of what Jesus did. I was thinking how that would work if we applied these different thoughts to relationships. I was thinking if I applied these thoughts to my marriage, how is it going to play out? You know, um, on the one side, if it's duty and I'm just doing the right things, and I could think about taking my wife on a date, and I just go, boy, she really, this is her favorite restaurant over here. We, we've got this favorite little Mexican restaurant down the street here, La Mexicana, and she really likes those. Uh, you know, their uh, house margaritas are really yummy. And for whatever reason, the waitress always seems to spike hers more than mine. Um, and so we're doing this day. We're doing all these things. We go to a movie afterwards. And, of course, we go to a, a chick flick because she likes that more than the war movies for some reason. You know, not up, not, not, she's not very excited about those action thriller zombie movies so much. Um, so anyways, I'm planning this perfect date for her. We do all these things. At the end of the date, she says, Honey, that was an amazing date. Thanks for just thinking about me and doing all those things. You know, Imagine if I responded to her and said, Just doing my duty, honey. Um, or what if I said, You know, Morgan, uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. You know, I just think those, all those just seem like the right thing to do. You know, how, what sort of relationship would that be? You know, going on a date with my wife is not about duty. You know, though it is probably the right thing to do, um, there better be more to it than that. On the other side, I could go, you know, well, hey, um, I know my wife told me she really likes these things, these certain things please her as far as dates and stuff. And I said, well, honey, I know that would please you, but I've decided maybe we shouldn't go on a date for a while. We don't want to be legalistic about our relationship and go on weekly dates. Uh, People might think we're religious. Um, And uh, so I decided, as a matter of fact, this next date we're going to do, I've thought through, I know the things you like, but we're going to do the date. It's going to be a little more me-centered, you know. I think, uh, how about instead of going alone to a restaurant with a nice, quiet ambiance, let's invite a bunch of the guys over to our house. 
we'll all come together here, you and me and the guys and the kids. Um, and what if we get, instead of your favorite meal, what if we got a bunch of buffalo wings, you know? She doesn't like buffalo wings so much, mostly because they're messy. You know? so what if we all get buffalo wings, the kids have buffalo wings, this would be awesome. Um, let's see, what else? Maybe what if we got a, a keg of root beer? You don't like root beer, she's told me that. She really doesn't like root beer, but let's get a whole bunch of root beer. And buffalo wings and a bunch of guys, and let's watch basketball. I know none of these are on the things that would please you, but... But you love me, and you're so gracious to me, and, and let's just do it. What the heck, you know? Um, and what sort of relationship would that generate? You know, I think at the end of the night, after a date like that, a wonderful date, you know, my wife would be, I don't even know if she'd say thank you, but I know she'd probably say, uh, you're on the couch tonight, buddy. Um, and so, on the, on the one hand, you know, there's uh, doing things out of duty and doing it because it's the right thing to do, and, well, that's, I'm a husband, that's what i got to do, you know, just... Uh, Friday nights is what we do. I've got to check it off, and there you go. The other side is this, you know, I don't have to do it. As a matter of fact, it kind of comes across, you, you telling me what you like, kind of seems like a rule, and that just gets under my skin, and so I'm not going to do that. Neither one of those makes a very enjoyable, fulfilling relationship. The way it's supposed to work is that uh, I've read some different definitions of love and of, uh, of being a lover. Um, I was reading someone's writing that talks about the, the goal of a lover in a marriage is to seek the pleasure of the one you love. And um, another definition I've heard about love is that you meet the needs of another person even at your own expense. And so, um, you know, in a loving relationship, if I go, this really would please my wife, and this is really what would make her happy, and I'm going to do this not because I have to, and not because I, I, I don't want to, I'm going to do this because I love her, and I want to bless her, and I want to bring uh, pleasure to her life and to be a joy as a husband and in this relationship. And, and really, I think that's the heart of what he, he gets at here as far as religious affection goes. That's um, the idea. He defines religious affection, or at least describes it. says, um, religious affection is affection for Christ that results in obedience to Christ. We do what God wants us to do because we, we love Him. We have a, a desire to please Him. Um, Religious affections motivate obedience to Jesus as Lord, not out of religious duty, but out of foundational delight. So he talks about the greatest motivation for doing what's right, for uh, trying to become like Christ, discipleship, um, is, is because we have a loving relationship with our Savior. And, and so he, he calls it religious affections. And I was trying to think about that. He quotes from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, how many of you have read Jonathan Edwards before? One Jonathan has. I think that's good. So, but, but, you know, I, I have not read Jonathan Edwards before. I have the copy of Religious Affections at home on my shelf, and I thought, you know, I've got to start reading that. I've got about 30 pages in, and I'm done reading that book. It is really deep and philosophical. But one of the things I was encouraged by, he's quoting from this Religious Affections, and he says these other guys like his writings too. And, um, but when I started reading Jonathan Edwards, you know who he was quoting from? He was quoting Jesus. And I thought, you know, that, that I can relate to. Religious affections, you don't find that terminology in the Bible anywhere. The guy in the book uses a few verses that kind of point that way. But when you read religious affections, he points back to, you know, one of the greatest motivations. And it was, it was in line with what I was thinking, which I was encouraged by. But he said, you know, Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest thing to do? And what is the greatest commandment out there? And Jesus said, he said, it, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And um, if you want to have a good motivation, loving God 
with all that he's given you to love him with is that's a great motivation as a matter of fact Jesus said there's no greater one he said this is the first and the greatest the second is to love your neighbors and everything else hangs on that and so if you're looking for a good motivation to do what pleases God I would say love is uh, love is that the most important motivation I would say is love he says religious affections I tie that back into love um, because I think that's what he's getting at uh, he talks about a, a joyful relationship things like that just a few verses on this um, why love the greatest commandments right here in Matthew 22 is, is love the Lord your God uh, he said this is the first and greatest commandment the second commandment is what love your neighbor as yourself um, what is the new commandment he said here's a new commandment I give you what was that one love one another not just love one another but he said now that you know the, how I've loved you that's how I want you to love one another never before had anyone had an example of Jesus a God in flesh loving people and he said that's how I want you to love each other another thing related to love is that love it's not something we have to generate in a vacuum love is a response to the love that God has for us that he showed us what love looks like he went to the cross with our sins gave us his righteousness in exchange and our love is in this environment of responding to someone who loves us with all he's got you know with all God has he, he loves us and so um, another thing I love there's these verses five places I think it is in one chapter Jesus said by the way if you love me you'll obey me if you love me you'll keep my teaching if you love me um, if you don't obey my teaching you don't love me he finishes the whole chapter by saying um the whole world's going to know that I love the Father because I do exactly what He wants me to do. And He just ties in this love. His motivation was uh, for obedience was love. And He says, by the way, this should be your motivation for obeying me is love. And you know, this is not one that plays out in, in a marriage relationship so well. You know, I don't know how many of you in, in your marriages, you go, you know, if my wife was like, honey, I really know you love me when you obey me. And uh, so let's get working on that. You know, um, that's, uh, it's not designed to play out like that in a marriage, uh, in your household, if you really knew your roommates loved you because they obeyed you. Would that be, should we try that out for a week, see how that goes? Um, that's going to make a mess. But the reason it works with God is because um, God is our Father. He is our Creator. And to obey our Creator, to obey our Father, it's like with kids. You know, I talk to my kids. I say, well, if you really love Daddy, do you love Daddy? And they're like, yeah, then... Why don't you do this? Or why don't you not do this? But we have to always touch base on, if you really love me, then, then do what I'm asking you to do because um, that will show love to Daddy, you know. And so the same is true of our Heavenly Father. If we really love Him, He wants us to, His love language in a lot of ways is obeying what He wants us to do here. And so I would say that's the greatest motivation. You have this loving relationship with God and uh, you just want to do what He wants because you just want to please Him. And I think that makes sense to most of us, I hope. Um, the other thing he talks about is warning and promises. Um, you know, I think about this section being like the greatest motivation we have is this loving relationship with God. We're just so delighted. But then from time to time, you know, um, we have these crossroads. You know, I think about it sometimes if you ever had a great quiet time, um, you know, you can go get away, have this quiet time, hear these wonderful verses, sense God's presence. And you come down off the holy mountain and you're just radiant with joy. And then the next thing that happens is oh, you got to deal with all these people that are just like ourselves, these rotten sinners out there, you know. And all of a sudden it goes from this great time alone with God to reality. And then we have to start making choices, you know. And we can, 
whatever situation we find ourselves in, we might be facing temptations where we might be trying to make a, a decision, uh, you know, about something in our households or with our finances or things like that. Um, but in that kind of crossroads, we, we get to kind of uh, think through, you know, we get to pray about it. God, what do you want me to do here? And there might be some verses that come to mind. Maybe they're warnings. Hey, look, if you make bad financial decisions, you're going to go into debt. You'll be a slave to debt until you remove that. Or um, maybe there's a situation that calls for patience and you're thinking, what would be natural here would not be patience. It would be, let me just give them a piece of my mind real quick here. Um, but we have these situations and there's, there's warnings and there's promises. Um, he shares a verse here in the book that's um, about promises. It says, By them your servants is warned. In keeping them there's great reward. Another one I think of, uh, here's one about kind of more of a warning. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. Sometimes we're trying to decide, do I want to stay on this path of righteousness, of pleasing God, or do I not? Well, here's a real clear warning. If you get off the path, bad things are going to happen. Your loving father will probably put the loving smackdown on that decision. If you want to get off the path, that's fine. Go for it. But you soon realize it'd probably be better to stay on the path. Um, you know, there's another promise here. There's a great one here. And this one is quoted in this book as well. But delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. As you're facing decisions, as you're kind of uh, no longer in just the, the blissful relationship uh, with God that you're used to having 24-7, um, we find these other situations where we're having to have a crossroads of what we're going to do. And, and these are some great, um, great warnings and promises. Another one I thought of here was Galatians 6. This is a, uh, one that was shared a lot at Faith Walkers here. Some of you might know Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Um, it's right here. It says, uh, says this, Do not be deceived while you're at your crossroads, while you're thinking about what decision you're going to be making. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature will from that nature reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we have choices. And there's, there's encouragements against bad choices. There's encouragements towards good choices. And yet, we get to decide. And if we make good choices, guess where we find ourselves? Back in that blissful, wonderful relationship with God. We're enjoying Him, His presence, being in step with Him, being in His Spirit. You know, there's different words for that. Abiding in Christ. If we make those choices, that's where we end. But what happens if we don't make those good choices well we find ourselves in in sin really and we find ourselves in a different situation which he kind of talks about next is um, it's a situation that would require repentance you know it's kind of like I think about it on a uh, kind of a boy a linear level or something like that but imagine you're in this relationship with God and you're having this communion and you know I don't know what it is you're, you're talking and or giving God a hug God gives you a hug whatever it is but then we're at this crossroads we're like God is here sin and temptation is here and we're kind of trying to figure it out and then if we choose uh, I'm going to choose God again we're back in this loving relationship maybe it's like the dance you know we're dancing with God life is a dance um, but then if we choose Wrong. If we choose selfishness or temptation of the world, we, we are now over here and we've turned our back to God and we've chosen sin or selfishness or something this world has to offer. And, and that's a valid place that we'll find ourselves as Christians. You know, and then when we get in that situation, we, we will then face more choices. Do I continue down this road? Do I keep going down this path? 
and I've got the warnings and I've got the promises, but will I keep walking this out? Or do I at some point turn repenting as, you know, the, I think the theological words uh, for repentance are a change of mind, a change of thinking. Do I have a change of thinking and go, you know, I no longer want to turn to sin. I want to turn away from sin and I want to turn back to God. And that's really the heart of repentance is, is turning away from sin and turning back to God. And I love in how this chapter, as you'll read this week, um, he kind of says it's like a, a coin. And as a coin, you can only be facing you know, two directions. And it's, you know, it's kind of like the heads and the tails or something like that. But if, if your head is facing sin, then your tail is facing your Savior. And yet, repenting is a turning of your head away from sin and towards God, simultaneously turning your back on sin. And so sometimes I've talked with people in processing sin and counseling, they're like, well, I just don't even know what repentance, did I really repent or did I not? Well, you can kind of know. Are you facing sin? Are you enjoying sin? Have you turned to sin? Or have you turned your back on sin and turned to your Savior? Because it's kind of an either-or thing. You can't have repented. I repented and and I'm just going to keep going down this road. That's not repenting. Repenting is a stopping of our interaction with sin and turning away from that and turning back to our Savior. And so he talks about these as kind of three things you can cycle through. The loving relationship with God. And then there's the believing of the promises and the warnings, you know. um, And then there's, well, if we choose wrong, then we find ourselves... We have to decide. Again, it kind of comes back to the warnings and the promises. Do I keep going down this road or do I turn back to to my Savior here? Let's see him. Get with verses, you know. And it's interesting to think that how many times, if you do a word study, I just did a a quick on Bible Gateway, you pull up repent or repentance. Um, One of the things I found interesting was uh, in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches that Jesus speaks to. And there's different thoughts on those seven churches represent seven different phases of the church in history. Some represent seven literal churches. Uh, some, you know, there's, there's debate over that. But what I think you could do is you read about the description of the church and if it describes something going on in your life, it applies to you. And what it says to do in light of that, you should probably do. And, uh, but se- five out of seven of those churches, he said, here's what you're doing and here's what you need to do. Repent. Turn away from what you're doing and repent. Several of those churches have to do with licentious living, uh, sexual immorality and things like that, and they had some habits that they were doing, and he said, repent and turn back to me. Um, one of them had to do with this one here is one that really, uh, well, I think about a lot. It's very challenging, but the church in, in uh, Laodicea, he says, you know, you're not hot or cold. It's not like you're hot for God or you're cold for God. You're just kind of lukewarm. You're just kind of on autopilot. You're just kind of going through the motions here. It's not like you hate God or you're living for the devil. And it's not like you really love God and you're passionate about Him. You're just kind of going. And here's what His instructions were to someone like that, which more times than not I find this being true of myself. You know, And He says, Those I dearly and tenderly love, I tell their faults and convict and convince and reprove and chasten. I discipline and instruct them. But be enthusiastic and earnest and burning with zeal and repent changing your mind and attitude. And so, um, Jesus' instruction to someone who is turned away from God, or in this case, even just being lukewarm, says, turn back. Be enthusiastic about the things of God. Um, He goes on to say, you know, the classic verse of, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And so, um, 
So these are just different um, things to think about. But if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've looked to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I think you really can go through these different phases that he talks about. Um, I don't think this chapter is the complete comprehensive book for all the good motivations you can have for following Christ. But I think it hits on some major ones. And we can find ourselves in that loving, obedient relationship. We can find ourselves at places where we're trying to decide what we're going to do. We can find ourselves where we've chosen wrong. But all of those, we have a chance to to get back into that loving relationship. But um, one of the things I just want to make a quick note of here, and we'll just call call it a morning, but... There's something special about the first time you do that. You know, um, what about those that haven't ever, you know, maybe life has been uh, with a back to God. I'm just doing my own thing, and I've never turned to God, and I've never looked to Jesus as my Savior. You know, there's something unique about the first time we respond to the Gospel. You know, one of Jesus' first messages in Mark, Mark chapter 1, He says, Repent and believe the good news. And once you, for the first time, hear that God loves you, He's willing to forgive you, you know, maybe you've had your back turn on Him and say, God hasn't been fair to me, or I don't believe in God, but we have this attitude towards the God we don't believe in, or whatever, you know. Um, but there's something about believing that He He's dealt with our sin, that, that He was willing to forgive us and that we would turn to Him. And the first time we do that, a lot of things happen, it says in the Scriptures. There's a, you become born again when you look to Jesus as your Savior. You become born again. You become a new creation. You're, um, you become, uh, legally, you've never sinned against God. Justification is that it's kind of like on a legal perspective. You've never, you don't have any things counting against you. Um, but, but then you begin this relational uh, kind of component with God where there's a, you can sin, it's forgiven, it's paid for, it's, Jesus was punished for it on the cross, but sin affects your relationship. And you can have a relationship with God, you can be head, heading to heaven, and you can have a really terrible relationship. It's like you can be in a marriage where you go, we're committed, we're not going to divorce, we're going to see this through to the end, but marriage can be really hard and not enjoyable. And God's desire is for us to have an enjoyable, loving relationship with Him. And, um, you know, we can go through these cycles. But I just want to encourage you, if you've never done it for the first time, if you've never looked to Jesus as the one who died for your sins, and if you've never come into a relationship with, with God, believing that Jesus took care of the unfinished business, and now you can get on with a loving relationship with your Father, I encourage you to, to think about that. I encourage you to make sure that you have done that. Because once you've done that, well, you go back through the same things of the gospel. When we sin and we go, man, I blew it again, and, and, but I'm thankful that Jesus paid for my sin. And I can turn back and have a relationship with Him again and try, to, try again. And uh, the goal is, over time, you, know, you grow in that loving relationship. And your motivation to do right grows over time as you understand, wow, He really does love me. He, he really even has the strength for me to choose right the next time. And... And that is really the, the gospel motivation for, for following Christ, for becoming more like Him. And we want to make sure we catch that. You know, one thing you can think about, or if you get a chance to read it um, for, for small group next week, or before you go to small group, I, I was just thinking um, about the idea of repentance. I think of Luke 15, where he just talks about two sons. There's a father, the story of a father and two sons. And one of them... Uh, one of them turns the back on his father and he says, Hey, look, I want, I want my inheritance. I'm going to take it and, and go. And it's kind of, he represents, I think, spiritual license in some ways. He leaves, he takes all his money and he goes and blows it in another country. Eventually he comes to his senses and goes, Man, it was good with my father. I'm going to humble myself and go back. And, and he goes back to his father and 
His Father is there with open arms waiting for Him. You know, once you become a child of God, once you become a, a believer, it's never about your Father turning His back on you. It's always about whether we have our back to Him or not. Um, because the Father was waiting for His Son to return. And, and when He returned, His Father was there with compassion, with love, ready to receive Him. And if you ever are prone towards spiritual license and you go off to a foreign land, you know, whatever that means in your life, um, and you come to your senses, you can just know that your Father is there waiting for you. But then he talked about the other brother that was there with him the whole time. And, um, you know, his other brother was kind of, you might say, doing his, his duty for his father. You know, and it said when he saw the father celebrating for the son that came back, um, so the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend, my friends. Um, but when this son of yours who squandered property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, I think... In this parable, both are represented. Someone who maybe wandered off and was just doing their own thing and someone who was there because of duty. And he was doing, you know, I just, when the father confronted him, he said, I never disobeyed your orders. You know, not doing wrong is different than loving. You know, he wasn't loving his father necessarily. He was just there not doing wrong. And he had a bad attitude and he was angry and, and he wasn't, sharing in the joy that he could have in a relationship with his father. The other guy left down and he was not sharing in the joy of his father either. He went and had short-lived joy and eventually came to his senses here. But I just think for all of us, you know, we can leave going. Um, our, it's true what he says. If you're a child of God, if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, this point where he says, um, you know, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. From, you know, this other guy turned back to me here. But uh, we, we all have access to everything, all of God's grace, all of His love, all of His forgiveness. If you're prone towards legalism and doing it out of religious duty, guess what? Your Father still loves you. And He's still willing to be gracious to you. And He wants you to share in the joy. He wants you to have a little celebration on, on His resources here. And if you're prone towards wandering off and doing your own selfish living... Your father's there waiting for you, waiting for you to turn back to him at any time. He's waiting with compassion, and he wants to celebrate again uh, when you turn back to that loving relationship with him as well. And so um, these are just some, some of the motivations to chew on as, as we think about following Christ, living to please him. This week in small groups, we'll talk about this some more. Uh, next week, Brad's going to talk about how the Holy Spirit really helps us in, in making these decisions along the way in these different transitions and phases of relationship with God. So, um, but let's go ahead and pray and go out there and face, face the snow together here. Ah, well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning and we, um, we just thank you for your love and your grace that's available to us. Lord, we thank you that's available to us the first time we turn to you as a sinner and, and we receive forgiveness for all of our sins and it's available to us Every time we turn our back on you, even as your child, that, that you have grace for us, you have love, acceptance, you have all your resources available to us. Lord, we thank you that, that you're steadfast in your love. You never change your mind, um, but we need to change our minds. Um, first time and, and often after that, Lord. And we just ask for your help in that. God, I pray you continue to grow uh, our uh, pure motivations for doing right, doing it because we love you and because you love us. 
and we want to please you. I just pray you'd cultivate that desire in us. Um, help us just to grow as a church full of men and women who love you, who are, um, are not lukewarm, who've not turned our back on you, but that we, um, we have great love and zeal and passion for you, God. And we just ask you to help us in that. Do whatever's needed in our hearts. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for uh, bearing with the snow today. And drive home safely, and we'll catch you Wednesday night in your small group, too.